This time of year is known for a lot of things. One of them is Comish and Glastonbury, but also one of them is wedding season, and apparently it runs from May to October here in the UK, and we're in the thick and the height of it between June and August at the moment. And I did a count last night. Up until last August, I'd been to eight weddings in my 19 years of, eight, of, of life. <laughs> okay, in my 43 years of, of life. You all took that so seriously. Wow, thank you. Last summer, I went to two weddings. Um, one was a bit of a working wedding because I was in charge of the AV and the sound um, for my friend who was getting married. Um, and I said to him, be careful, put me in charge of the AV because I might just mute your mic when you're supposed to say, I do. I, I didn't, though. I didn't. I was tempted, but I didn't. There's always an awkward moment at some weddings, though, isn't there? And the second wedding I went to last year, there was an awkward moment in the car park because after the bride finally arrived about an hour and a half late, which actually was pretty good for her family, apparently, the service was over pretty quickly. Outside, we're mingling in the car park, and a mutual friend of ours, I'm not going to mention his name because there's two people in the room that know this person, said to me, how am I getting to the wedding meal? And so I looked at him and said, oh, what wedding meal? I haven't been invited to a wedding meal. And so then there was this sort of what felt like an hour's awkward silence between him saying, oh, you come to the wedding meal, me saying there isn't a wedding meal. And I said, brother, it's fine, don't worry. I'm, I'm not invited to the wedding meal. I'm coming to the thing afterwards. What was even more awkward is that when, when I first got the invitation for that wedding, I got invited to all three parts of the wedding. And then just before, I think it was the month before the wedding, new invitations went out. Something happened somewhere in the organisation and some people got reduced to just the first part and the last part. So clearly uh, there was two tiers of friendship there. I didn't hold it against the person who was getting married. I still went to the wedding. I didn't go to the after part, part though, because it was too far and it was very hot that day and I was tired. Where we are today in um, our reading, there is a wedding feast. Imagine this though, family. Uh, you've received an exclusive invitation to the biggest, grandest celebration the world has ever seen, the biggest wedding you've ever seen. And you're invited to the whole thing, by the way, not just the, the select bits. The pre-wedding nibbles, the ceremony, the meal afterwards, the boogie-woogie that lasts until the early hours of the morning. It's the, a day beyond your wildest dreams. It's got the best food, flowing wine, champagne, laughter, everything. As you enter the venue, you can't help but marvel at the, the chandeliers and the, the long tables in the banquet hall, the decorations. Picture yourself, though, among the chosen guests and, and you're taking your place at the table of honour and, and, and you're eagerly awaiting the arrival of the bride and the groom. But here's where the story takes a surprising turn. One by one, the, 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 the guests, they begin to decline their invitations. Nobody turns up. Just you, and you're kind of walking towards the back now because you feel a bit awkward because it's just you and the angry, angry host. And in a move that really reveals his generosity and his desperation, he says, well, I've got to fill this room because my son's about to arrive. We've got all this food ready. Just go out into the streets and, and, and fill the room with anybody that you can come across. And then all these seats that were once empty are now full. And then there's more. While the banter and the, is flowing, the champagne glasses are, are, are changing with the celebrations, the host, he noticed that one of the guests isn't dressed properly. And he's not willing to tolerate this. This is disrespectful. 
he confronts the guest and he kicks him out and says, don't ever wear trainers to a banquet of mine ever again. That baseball cap is the wrong team. It says Tottenham Hotspurs, not Arsenal. Get out. That's it. Take him out. Brothers and sisters, this morning we're looking at a short story that Jesus told to the Pharisees and whoever was listening as well. And as we delve into this parable, we're going to explore the deep lessons that it holds for us here today. And as with most of Jesus' parables, it's steeped in metaphors, and so we're going to try and uncover some of those hidden lessons behind the words. But before we delve in, shall we pray? Father God, we thank you for this moment that we have here in your house, with your people, with your word. Lord, may our hearts uh, be opened, may our minds be cleared of any distractions that the world has put in them. May we focus on you and your son. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable and pleasing to you, my Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So we're looking at Matthew chapter 22. Uh, I'm going to read from verses 1 to 14. You'll find it on page 990. Jesus spoke to them again in parables. The kingdom of God, heaven is, a, is like a king who prepared a, a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servant to those who had been invited to the wedding banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and the fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without, without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told his attendants, tell him, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. This is the complete reading of the word of the Lord. During lockdown, I watched a show on Amazon Prime. My cousin had been really trying to get me to watch it for years and years, but I just couldn't, I just couldn't get the concept of it. But in COVID, I had a lot more patience with, prog with programs, and so I, I gave it a try. It's called The Man in the High Castle. Has anybody watched it? Yay, two. Okay, good, I'm not alone. And so it's basically about the outcome of World War II, and it's reversed. So it, it, it went the other way. The Germans and the Japanese won. The Allies are defeated. Hitler and the Japanese conquer most of the world. London has fallen, the USA is split into three, you've got the Nazi side to the east, the Japanese side to the west, and you've got this no man sort of neutral zone in the middle. And I have to say it's really, really, it is really, really good. The way, the way they've written it, it's based on a book, I believe, um, and just the cinematography, which I'm, I'm pretty, I've, I've got a thing about how things are filmed and, and stuff like that. But imagine, brothers and sisters, here in England, and us being invaded 
by a foreign nation. I mean, quite apt looking at the news over the weekend if you've seen any of it. You've heard and you've seen all over the internet this brutal army making its way through the Middle East and, and, and Eastern Europe. You still don't think it's going to reach anywhere near the UK, though. So we carry on living our lives as normal. And then frantic phone calls and WhatsApp messages start to, to come through. Maybe your daughter in the Netherlands, like I had at one point, or your son might be doing a gap year in Spain, or your mother-in-law, who's, who's usually pretty at a safe distance from you in France, but actually now you're worried that you can't get her home before because these countries have all been taken by this army. And now Britain is taken as well. From that moment on, we live out our lives under the rule and thumb of this brutal regime. The leaders of our nation, the royal, the political, the religious, they all bow down to this, this new regime because they're allowed to just continue running the country as you know, they've got untouched, unmovable power, no elections, no more voting. As long as the people are kept sweet, the taxes keep flowing towards this new regime, everything's good. And I say this all because I want to, I want to remind us and build a picture for us of the conditions that the Israelites, the Jewish people, including Jesus, were living at the time of what we read here in, here in the, the Gospel of Matthew. It's an occupied land. The rulers of that land are, are working in cahoots with the, the occupiers. And at the beginning of the chapter, before the one we find ourselves in today, chapter 21, Jesus makes his big triumphant entrance into Jerusalem. We're at what we call Palm Sunday, the first day of what we call Holy Week. And within the last few days before where we find ourselves today, Jesus has raised a man called Lazarus from the dead. He was dead for four days and he brought him back to life in a town not so far from Jerusalem. And when word of this spread, many people from Jerusalem, they came to see Lazarus because they had to see for themselves this man called Lazarus, we know he was dead. We heard about this guy who had died and now Jesus has risen him from the dead. The date was also very close to the Passover. So Jerusalem was heaving with pilgrims um, coming in, in, into the center of Jerusalem, visitors who were gonna be observing these feast days. And many of these people would already have heard about Jesus. And up until this point, Jesus has been pretty quiet about his, his mission. He's been, he, at times, he's even, he even tells people, we read in the Gospels, um, don't tell people what you've witnessed about me. Just, just go about your business or go to the priests and show them what God has done. The whole point to Matthew's Gospel, though, is to show Jesus as the Messiah that Israel has been waiting for. It's a very, um, we call it a very Jewish um, gospel. It's written to, to a Jewish audience. And so on this day, Jesus has boldly ridden into Jerusalem. He's fulfilling a prophecy from hundreds of years ago, um, riding into town on a donkey, people shouting Hosanna, throwing down their coats and, and palm branches, hence why we call it Palm Sunday. The crowds have greeted him, they've accepted him as, as king as he's ridden into this city. And this has fired up the anger that was already there in these lo local religious leaders, in these Pharisees and these chief priests. And they're fearing that this popularity of this Jesus man is going to anger the Roman occupiers. That's all they're really concerned about, because that then might interfere with their way of life. And so the next day, Holy Monday, we could say, 
King Jesus goes into the temple, as we read. He drives people out who are, who are buying and selling stuff. To, he turns over the tables of the money changers and he declares, it is not written that my house will be a house of, it's written that my house will be a house of prayers, not a house of robbers like you've turned it into. And the chief priests, they've heard this and, and they've started to find a way, tried to find a way to kill Jesus because he's just getting so popular, he's been so brazen now, and, and we just need to put a stop to this rebellious man and his people following him. And that brings us to Holy Tuesday, the day we find ourselves in today's reading. This is all happening in Holy Week. And I've mentioned all of this because I want us again to get a sense of what Jesus must have been going through this week. He knows this is the week, I mean, it's not a normal week at the office for him, because he knows that this is the week that will end in him losing his life, being taken to the cross. He also knew that the following week, on that first Resurrection Sunday, that his father was going to raise him from the dead. And imagine having, imagine having that on your mind today going into this week, knowing that on Friday you have to do that. On Tuesday last week now, because I believe the week starts on Sunday, even though some people believe it starts on Monday. I'm a Sunday. Who, who believes the week starts on Sunday? Oh dear, okay. The Lord was risen on Sunday. That's all I'm saying, the Lord rose on Sunday. I'm just putting it out there. Anyway, what I had on my mind last Tuesday was that at the end of last week, which I believe was yesterday, um, we were all going to get in the car, myself, some of my children, one of them is here today, um, their mum and the, our black Labrador and was going to head to Richmond Park for a picnic. That's what I had to worry about at the end of the week. What am I making for this picnic? What's the weather going to be like? It actually turned out to be a really lovely day. Um, I'm still recovering from the food though because there was a lot of food at the picnic and I probably shouldn't have eaten a lot of what I've eaten. I'm digressing. That's all that was on my mind though. That and preparing the sermon this morning to come and preach. Jesus on that Tuesday where we find him knew that this week was going to end in his death. There's no escaping it. There's no plan B. There's no wet play plan so if, we, if it had been a washout yesterday we would have found something to do as a family or not we might have just resorted back to Netflix and whatever else we do on a Saturday in our reading this morning we find Jesus back in the temple courts and as they did the chief priests and the elders of, 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 the, of the people came to him to challenge his authority to try to catch him out and get a reason to put him on trial and kill him but Jesus being Jesus isn't having any of it and he speaks to them in parables he, as my granddad used to say he, he works brain on them he, he, he plays stupid to catch the wise because he knew what answers he was going to get from them already and with these short sharp smart stories Jesus would always expose them for who they are and who he is and leave them feeling nothing but probably shame and increased anger towards him and he gave them three parables, and one of them, I'm not going to go into all of them because I haven't got time to today, but one of them, the first one of the three parables, was of the two sons. And there's a man with two sons, Jesus says, and he tells them to go and work in his vineyard. The first son refuses to go and work, but later he changes his mind. The second son initially said he'll do it, but then he didn't bother going in the end. 
And Jesus asked the question to the Pharisees, which one of these two sons did what their father wanted? And the chief priest rightly guessed, guessed, guessed the right one, and it was the first son. And Jesus then compared the first son to people like the tax collectors and, and thieves and robbers, people who initially lived the life of disobedience. But unlike the chief priests, when John the Baptist came along and, and showed them the, the, the way to righteousness, Jesus, the chief priests were like the second son, their hardened hearts, and, and, and they claimed to be obedient in the truth, but they didn't really do what God wanted them to do. So as we look at today's parable, it's helpful to look at what weddings were like back in Jesus' day. Unfortunately, due to technical difficulties, there was no videos I could find on YouTube of any weddings back in first century um, Judea. But essentially, they were a massive deal um, in Jewish society. The parents of the bride and the groom would draw up this contract. The bride and groom probably would have met at the day that this contract was signed. Um, for the first time a lot of the time and at that point when they've met they sign the contract and they're as good as married technically they're betrothed to each other until the actual ceremony happens and that's when it's kind of um, cemented but until that ceremony in between the two they're separated so they don't live together the bride goes off to her parents the groom goes off to make their family home and set it up and etc and, and etc cetera, et cetera. And, and this could take quite a while and when the home was ready, the groom would just show up at the bride's house and all of a sudden, uh, apparently, unannounced, and then the marriage ceremony would take place and then you'd have this big wedding banquet. And the wedding banquet was one of the biggest, sort of happiest, splashiest sort of occasions in, in their diary or calendar. Um, and it could last up to a week, a week's worth of celebrations. And so in his parable, Jesus is using a lot of metaphors in this banquet that we've got. The king is God, the father of the son. The son is who he's throwing the wedding banquet for is Jesus. That The bride is the church. I'm not going to go into that today because that can get confusing. We would get there in the end. But the wedding banquet that they're attending is the kingdom of heaven. So God is the father, the king, the son is Jesus, the banquet is heaven. The guests who refuse the king's invitation are the people of Israel back then, the priests, the religious leaders. The unexpected guests who were brought in from the streets, wherever they found them, were the Gentiles, the non-Jewish believers. And the man without the wedding clothes was someone who kind of had superficial or insincere faith you could say. Does that make sense? There's our characters, there's our situation. God is the Father, the King, the Son is Jesus, the wedding banquet is heaven, the guests who refuse the King's invitation, the people of Israel and the religious leaders, the priests. The guests that were brought in are the Gentiles, non-Jewish believers, and the man without the, the right wedding clothes on was someone who had, super, who had sort of weak, superficial faith. So on the surface, he looked like a great churchgoer, but inside his heart, he didn't really believe in Jesus and hadn't committed his life to him. Okay, so what is this all about? If we cast our minds back to the last wedding that you went to, or if you've never been to a wedding, the last birthday party you went to, and if you've never been to a birthday party, which would, would be hard to find anybody in here. Has anybody in here never been to a wedding? Good. Never been to a birthday party? Good. So cast your mind back to one of those 
and stretch your imagination to, to the room being, you expect the room to be full of people, but it was empty. Just you and the person who sent the invites, and they're really vexed. And now parable, the king has prepared the biggest banquet of all time, and he sends out the servants, firstly, to invite the people at the request of the king, but the people he invited to the banquet have refused to come. And I mean, who turns down the invitation from a king to anything? I mean, some might. Charles might not be your your king, uh, you know, whatever. So then after that, he sends out some more servants, we read, and this time he tells them to let them know just how big this banquet is going to be. I mean, we're talking, he's got Luther Van Dross, Paul McCartney, Rima, Ed Sheeran. He's got the, this A-star list of people performing. He's got Gordon Ramsay, Nigella Lawson. He's got Heston Blumen, whatever his name is. Um, I'm, no, I can't remember. They're doing the cooking. Everything's ready. This time when the servants go out, having listed all of that, he, they get told, oh, I've got my farming to do. I, or or, or, or I've, I've, my to-do list on my to-do app is just, it's just seething. I'm just too busy. Their focus is on wrong things. They're invited to the most incredible feast of their lives, but all they care about is their own lives and their work. And then to add insult to injury, they go on to treat the king's servants badly and then they kill them. And this wasn't even necessary. I mean, who does this just because they don't want to attend a wedding? I mean, it's kind of extreme. And it's a good job we can invite people via email nowadays and click decline and, yeah, anyway, let me not be silly. What we have here going on, though, in Jesus' metaphoric story with with the killing of the servants is Jesus referring to the typical response of the Jewish people to the prophets of, of, of God. And he's saying to the chief priests that God sent his prophets time and time again to warn them to turn their ways from, turn, away, turn from their ways to turn to God. They were invited to share God's blessing, but they wouldn't listen. And then at times, as we know, some of the prophets would get killed. And God's response, how does the king respond? The king is vexed, is angry, and he sends out his army and, and they get destroyed and their cities get burned down because the king will not allow the guilty to go unpunished. And all the business and, and work and stuff that they were focused on, it all comes to nothing in the end. I mean, they, they were fools really, thinking they could stand up to, to the king's army. So then he sends out his servants into the city and tells them, look, just find anybody you can, good, bad, rich, poor, I don't care. Anyone who wants to come in, let them come into this banquet at this point. And let's remember, the people who were invited to the banquet were originally supposed to be noble, rich, important, sort of big people, fit to dine at the banquet organised by a king for his prince. So in their world, anyone else below that sort of aristocracy, we could say, doesn't deserve or isn't worthy to be at this banquet. I mean, it's like Harry and and Meghan or or William and Kate's wedding and nobody turns up and so they're just so desperate on the day because the cameras are rolling, they just say to anybody, just come into into this wedding, fill the the room. Like Beyonce getting married at Tottenham Stadium, like she was there the other day, wasn't she, in concert. Did anybody go? Good. 
the traffic was awful. <laughs> but it's like her getting married at, at, at Tottenham Stadium and, and nobody turns up and, and Jay-Z sends out his, his men and, and we're coming out of Tesco's or Lidl's or Marks and Spencer's Food Hall in Crouch End, if that's your place to buy your food. And, and you get invited to, to Tottenham and you, would you leave your Milford 2 on the floor and get in the car and go to Beyonce's wedding? I wouldn't if it was an M&S Milford 2 because M&S Milford 2s are actually really good. The king is willing to invite and welcome in those who were not invited in the first place to this incredible feast. In verse 10, we read that the hall was filled with guests. And something on the face of it then really weird happens in verse 11. To us, it might seem a bit odd, but back in those days, it wouldn't have been odd because one of the guests has turned up not wearing the correct clothes, the right garments. And the king sees him. And, and back in those days, at these sorts of weddings, this would have been a massive insult to the king because the king probably would have given them clothes to wear, proper sort of attire, so everybody turned up looking the same and looking clean and dapper. And we can assume that this guy has refused to wear the wedding garments that the king has provided upon his arrival. And so the king questions him. He says, you can... And then you can imagine the king sort of getting up from his table and walking down the, 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 the aisle of this banquet and, and the whole room's like, where's the king going and why does he look so angry? I mean, I can imagine like Pete on a Sunday, just somebody walks in and, and again, they're wearing a Tottenham Hotspurs baseball cap and Pete just stops preaching. He walks out and you guys are like, where is he going? And he drags him up and says, what are you doing wearing that here? Throw him out into the darkness. And we'd all clap because it's a Tottenham Hotspurs baseball cap. But this king is majorly upset that he would turn up to his son's wedding banquet just dressed normally. And what this is all about, brothers and sisters, is gratitude and the heart set of this, this, this man who's turned up to this wedding banquet. Those that have been invited into the banquet who aren't worthy to be there should want to honour the king and his son by a, a wearing the right clothes. The gratitude of their heart should move them to not see change in their clothes and how they appear as a big deal because they're in the presence of the king and his son. And the king was willing to invite anyone, as we know, to this feast. But that didn't mean that the people who were there would be allowed to just dress how they wanted to and behave how they wanted to. I'm not a suit and tie man. I don't think you guys have ever seen me in a suit and tie. I think the last time I put a tie on around my neck was about seven years ago, maybe, I think. Um, I've got one suit, and, it, and it's my wedding suit, and I was going to wear it today. I said to my son that I was going to wear it today, but it, it's too hot. I would have been sweating buckets. And I was going to wear it with a pair of my Nike Air Force trainers just to demonstrate, you know. <laughs> yeah, anyway, it would have been cheesy. But I can't lie. If I was invited to, to Buckingham Palace to get at that MB that you've all been working so hard nominating me for, Assuming I'd accept it, but that's a different sermon for another day. I might be tempted to put a tie around my neck and maybe wear my black clocks instead of my grey air forces. Maybe. The point is, though, that that is why this man was so quiet, speechless, we read, when he was confronted by the king, because he had no excuse. And for his crime, this, this wrongly dressed man, he's thrown out into the darkness, tied up. Many see this as the, the out of darkness, the sort of existing without God that he was thrown into, banished from God's existence. 
What is the point? Plane is landing. We was in Richmond Park, and my daughter is obsessed with planes for some very weird reason. So every time a plane was coming in to land, she was getting her phone out, and she was saying, oh, this is a big one. I'm like, OK, it just looks like another plane. She said, this one's coming from India, and then another one would go over. Oh, this one's coming from Dubai. And after the 10th plane, it was getting a bit, yeah, boring. Anyway, this plane is coming in to land. Verse 14 sums it up. Many are invited but few are chosen. Now, we might read these words and and not quite get what they really mean. I I know I didn't when I I first sort of started to read Matthew's Gospel until I got it. In the parable, those who are invited to the feast were called, but the king didn't choose them because they rejected the king. So the original people that were supposed to be at this feast, the nobles, the priests, the Jewish people, They were invited by the king, they were called, they weren't called, sorry, sorry, they were invited, they were called, but the king didn't choose them because they rejected the king. They said, no, we're, we're, we're not coming. And then we have this man who shows up, accepts the invitation, but because he isn't wearing the right clothes, again, this person who was called by the king wasn't chosen. So many people are called, but only a few are chosen because only a few give the king the glory and the honor that he deserves. Loads of people seek their own glory and fame and run after other things like money and and, and power. I could go on and on and on about what people idolize in this world. Many answer the call, but don't care enough about the king about Jesus to change their ways. And they also don't see what a massive opportunity they're given and, and, and you know, by being invited into God's kingdom, being chosen by the king. They accept the invite, they show up, but all they care about is, is the food and about not actually honoring the king and celebrating his son. They don't want to be part of the kingdom of God, a part of the banquet. They just want to be fed, they just want to be entertained. What does this mean for us? As we look at this story, there's a few essential takeaways. I've only literally got a few. We see that the king is God and that the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom full of rejoicing in the presence of the king and his son, Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is like a king's wedding feast, though. It's only for those who are chosen to be there. So who are the ones who are chosen? Is it the ones who are called? Is it those who are good? It can't be because we read that good and bad people were there. When he went out into the streets, that good, bad were invited to come in. But we see in the example of the man who wasn't dressed properly, that those who are invited, who accept the king, but who are not willing to change, and not willing to honor the king, are not chosen to be part of the kingdom of God. God sent his son Jesus into this world and those, those very people who should have been waiting in expectation of their king and falling at his feet and living their lives worshipping him, the Israelites, the priests, they rejected Jesus. Who are we in this story, brothers and sisters? Are we, are we the religious leaders or, or people very good at their religious life, doing church? But when God calls them to follow Jesus, when it means sacrificing things, when it means changing our life and our ways, 
We're too busy or we reject that invitation. Are we like the man with the wrong clothes? We accept the invitation, but you know, we expect to be able to show up to the kingdom of God, unchanged, talking the same, living our life the same, treating people the same, just like we did before the invitation, before the call, before we accepted that invitation. If we think that we can just enjoy God's blessing without becoming more and more like him over time, then we've got this whole thing wrong, brothers and sisters. God expects us to change family. What, what is staring us dead in the face here in this story is God's grace towards the people who didn't deserve to come into the banquet, those who don't deserve because of their sin to enter the kingdom of heaven through his grace, they're invited in. And we can, be, we can accept this grace by accepting Jesus as our Lord and Saviour and by living out our lives, following Jesus and doing everything we can daily to be more like him. Let's follow our Lord Jesus, his teachings, his direction for our lives until he comes and takes us home. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your son Jesus and for the fact that you sent him to this world to be that sacrifice that we needed so that we can be at peace with you and we can be a part of your kingdom. So Lord, I pray this week that we will live out our lives um, knowing that we have Jesus as our saviour and sharing the story of Jesus coming to this earth for those that don't know him with those that you put in our path. In Jesus' name, amen.